You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you today at uh, Pastor Jason's invitation. And I bring you greetings from Corinth Baptist Church in McQuady, Kentucky. And if you're wondering where in the world McQuady is, and if you don't know where McQuady is, you're probably better off, actually. And uh, if, you, if you ever just happen to find yourself in McQuady, unbeknownst to you, you are probably very lost. And so, uh, but we've been living there now for uh, 18 years, and it's been our, our joy and privilege to pastor there at, at Corinth, and God has done some wonderful work there, and it's good, again, to be with you today. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Beth, and my eldest daughter, Eliza, and so they're sitting here uh, in the front. They love to be pointed out, and so I'll do that today. Um, so again, thank you for the opportunity to, to bring God's Word to you today. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to go ahead and turn to that place. The very end of Matthew 16 is where we'll be spending our time in God's Word today. I'd like us to consider today the call of the disciple and to ask the question, what does it mean for us to truly follow Jesus Christ? What does he require of us and what should we expect from him? Let's consider his words at the end of Matthew 16 this morning. Beginning in verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. May God bless the reading of his word this morning, and can we pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for what you're going to teach us through your word by your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that we would be given ears to hear today and hearts that are ready to receive from you. Lord, your word is a gift. And we pray that we would receive it with thankfulness today, even as we just sang thankfulness to Christ for his saving work at the cross. I pray that we would hear the words of our Savior and that we would heed the words of our Savior today as we seek to walk in obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage today, I want to bring you just really one central truth that's going to guide us as we look at Jesus' words here at the end of Matthew chapter 16. And it is this. That the call of the disciple is to come and to die so that you might live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said in uh, my favorite book of his, The Call of Discipleship, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. 
As we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, and as we consider the call of the disciple to follow him wherever he may lead, I just want to set before you two simple truths today that come out of this passage. First of all, we want to talk about what discipleship is. That's the what today, if you will. What is discipleship? And then once we determine what discipleship is based upon the words of our Lord and Savior, that we would then ask this question, why in the world would anyone do what Jesus is commanding? So we're going to talk about the what and the why today of Christian discipleship. And so let's begin. Let's look together. If you want to follow along in your outline, you're welcome to do so there in the, in the worship bulletin. Let's talk first about the threefold calling of all Christians. And I, I want to emphasize that word all. I probably should have put that in bold capital letters and underlined it about three or four times because we want to talk about today the normal Christian life as Jesus defines it, not as our culture defines it. We don't have to look around very long in American Christianity today to see that there tends to be what, what I would uh, call a, a two-tiered version of Christianity at work in so many of our American churches today. On the one tier, we would have those who would take seriously the words of Christ like what we're seeing today and see that the call of discipleship is a high and a holy calling, that, that Jesus set a high bar that none of us would be able to leap over were it not for the grace of God and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the, the first tier, those who would take seriously words like what Jesus gives us here at the end of Matthew 16. If you don't know it, know clearly today, Jesus said some hard things, and we don't want to make those things any less hard than he intended them to be. So the first tier of Christian discipleship that we see in our churches today here in America is we see a tier that would take seriously the words of Christ, that would take Jesus at his word. But then there's a second tier that we see so often operative in our churches in America today, and it's what's been called for many years nominal Christianity. It would be those who make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and yet that profession of faith doesn't necessarily have any real bearing on their day-to-day -day life. That they would look at words like we're looking at here in Matthew 16 this morning and say, well, we know what Jesus said, but, and it's that but that gets us in a lot of trouble. Just consider the term nominal Christianity. The word nominal really means in name only. And, and I want to say to you, based upon the authority of God's word this morning and what Jesus is showing us here in Matthew 16, that a nominal Christian is actually no Christian at all. 
If we are just Christians in name only and his name does not impact the way that we live our lives day to day. And if we are not taking seriously the call of the disciple issued by the Lord of the disciples, then we are not really embracing biblical Christianity. And so this two-tiered version of Christianity that we've created in the American church today, some who take seriously the words of the Lord and others who say, well, we know what Jesus said, but that that really is a false dichotomy. And so what has Jesus called us to? What is the threefold calling of all Christians? Look back at verse 24. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice that there are three imperatives that are given to us. First, to deny himself. Second, to take up his cross. And third, to follow me. But let's talk about what these words mean, because this is a passage of Scripture that may be very familiar to many of us, and we can easily just kind of breeze on through without considering the weight of what Jesus has put before us. So what does it mean to deny ourselves? We think about this kind of language and use it fairly often. In fact, I, we might say something like, well, I'm going to deny myself a piece of cake. Now, for most of us, that means I'm going to deny myself that second piece of cake. I'm going to have the first one, and, and yet I'm going to deny myself and not have the, the second piece of cake. That's the way we kind of use that terminology in, in our culture today. This is how I'm going to deny myself. But what is Jesus talking about? Jesus here is talking about forsaking your self-seeking in acts of repentance. You see, Jesus understands what we need to understand, that our primary issue is that as sinful men and women, we are all about ourselves. You see, my sin nature wants to seek that which is self-centered, self-seeking, and self-exalting to the very end. The the flesh that still wars against the spirit in the lives of of believers is a self-seeking flesh that is all about self-exaltation. And so when Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, he is coming right to the root of our main issue, which is that we are all about self. And by the way, if you would look around just a little bit, you would notice that we are living in a culture that is all about self. You only live once, the culture says, so live it up. Do whatever makes you happy. Live your truth. Whereas the Christian should understand that we are not called to live our truths. We are called to live according to God's truth, which is an unchanging truth. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. So the first part of the calling of the disciple is that we must deny ourselves. We must forsake our self-seeking in acts of repentance, turning away from that lifestyle that would seek self and turning toward that lifestyle that would seek Christ. This is what repentance 
looks like. We, for far too long, have discounted the necessity, the absolute necessity of repentance for the Christian life. If there is no repentance, then there is no saving faith in Jesus Christ. We are called, from Mark 1.15, to repent and believe the gospel. That's the first step. You must deny yourself, Jesus said. Second of all, you must take up your cross. Now let's think about how that terminology is used in our current culture. You will hear people say things like, well, that's just her cross to bear. You've heard that, right? And so you might have a, a lady who, who struggles with asthma and, and has a hard time breathing and, and someone might, might say of her, well, that's just her cross to bear. Or perhaps like myself, I'm about five years into having some pretty serious back issues that gave me a lot of trouble yesterday. And some people might say, well, that's just his cross to bear. But think about how we're using that terminology. I can guarantee you that the lady with asthma, if she had an opportunity to rid herself of her asthma, would get rid of that asthma. And I can guarantee you that if I could get rid of these back problems, I would get rid of these back problems. But notice what Jesus says. It's different. With the lady with asthma or with myself, with my back issues, this is something that is inflicted upon the person really against their will. If they had the choice they would rid themselves of that cross. And if you start to listen in the language that we use when we say, well, that's just her cross to bear, or that's just his cross to bear, we are by and large talking about things that if those things could be removed, that individual would seek to remove them. Isn't that right? And yet, notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, take up your cross. Do you see how different that is? That's not someone passively receiving a cross to bear. That is someone actively pursuing a cross. And by the way, we're not talking about a little gold chain and a little emblem worn around the neck here. We are talking about what they understood in the first century very clearly, the most horrible form of capital punishment ever devised by mankind. The Roman government had perfected the cross as a means of deterring the worst of criminals. It was such a horrible punishment that the Roman government would not even allow Roman citizens to be crucified. They reserved that for the peoples of other nations as a warning and deterrent. And yet Jesus says, take up that cross. Take on that suffering. What does he mean? We must embrace our suffering with resolve. Now this is hard. To embrace suffering, it's one thing to receive suffering. It's one thing to endure suffering. But Jesus is saying for the sake of his kingdom, we actually embrace the suffering knowing that through the sufferings of our lives that God brings into our lives, that through those sufferings, he is doing a mighty work that cannot be accomplished by any other means. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that? I know that because the Word of God tells us that. And I know that because that's the very path that Jesus himself walked. 
The cross was not inflicted upon our Savior. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I will take it up again. Now, if that's not true, Jesus was the most insane man that ever lived. Which of us could say, nobody can take my life from me, but I'll lay it down and I will take it up again. We would think that guy is a few crowns short of a full box, right? I mean, we would think there's something radically wrong in that picture, except for the fact that that's exactly what Jesus did. When he laid his life willingly upon the cross, it was not the Romans who took Jesus' life. It was not the Jews who took Jesus' life. Jesus willingly laid his life down and took up the cross actively for us. And so those who would follow after him must deny themselves, take up their cross, and then follow him. You see this kind of language throughout the Gospels. Every time Jesus calls out a new disciple, what is the call? Come and follow me. When he finds Matthew, the author of this gospel in the tax booth, what does he say to Matthew? Hey, Matthew, come out of the tax booth and come and follow me. When he finds Peter and Andrew fishing in in their boat, he calls them out of the boat and says, come and follow me. And we see this call on multiple occasions as Jesus is calling people to come, to deny themselves, to take up the cross and to follow him. But what does this mean? It means we must follow our Savior in reliance. This is what real faith looks like, is that we are living in reliance upon God. I remember as a, as a child hearing this acronym for faith, forsaking all, I trust him. How many of you have heard that before? Yeah, forsaking all, I trust him. And I think that lines up so well with what Jesus is setting before his disciples here, that we must follow our Savior in reliance, which means day by day we're living by faith. Not just on Sunday mornings or or Wednesday nights, not just when the church is gathered or, or, or when things are going well in life, but that we are following him in reliance upon him, knowing that we cannot do this Christian life apart from him. The reality is, folks, we can't do life apart from him. Certainly not very well, but through him we live and move and have our being. So this kind of faith is a recognition that we need him desperately. And so this threefold call of all Christians to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Christ. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes a similar thing when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. We could say, I appeal to you, therefore, church, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service. By the mercies of God, where do we see that? We look to the cross and we see the mercies of God and the cross beckons us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. To live as a living sacrifice. 
which may seem like an oxymoron to the world. How can you be a living sacrifice? And that the closer you draw to Jesus, the more you recognize that is the defining characteristic of the Christian life. I die to myself so that I might live unto Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and yet, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the call for all Christians. Steve Lawson said about these verses, there will always be a cross before a crown, sacrifice before success, and reproach before a reward. The call of discipleship will cost you popularity, possessions, and position, but God will use your commitment. The grace of God will be multiplied in you if you cultivate a fixed resolution to live for the glory of God. But considering that threefold calling, I think we then must ask this question. If we would be honest, if we would understand the gravity, the weightiness of what Jesus has set before us, then I believe we must ask this follow-up question if we're going to be honest with one another and with a world that would hear these kinds of sayings from our Savior. If this is the call of all Christians then why in the world would anyone want to do that? It's much easier to live for yourself. It's much easier to reject any cause for suffering. It's much easier to follow a Savior who isn't calling me to take up a cross in my following of Him. So if we're going to be honest today, church, and we need to be honest both with ourselves and with one another here in the body, then we ought to be asking the question, if this is the call that Jesus has issued to us as those who would follow after him, then why would anyone in their right mind want to do this? And I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus gives us the answer. Look at the next three verses, beginning in verse 25. He gives us three reasons why we would receive the call of the disciple and follow after him. So let's look at the threefold case for our cross-bearing. This is the why. We've heard the what, now let's look at the why. First of all, verse 25, Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains... Sorry, I got ahead of myself. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the first reason. And I can summarize verse 25 in this way. The recognition that the saving loss is inescapable. And you say, preacher, what in the world do you mean by that? The saving loss. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Whoever wants to save his life 
That means really, I think he's referencing there your life apart from Christ, your self-seeking life, the life that's all about you and, and, and the things that you are running after in life, this, this life that's intent upon popularity and possessions and, and, and power and all those things, that, that, that this life, he said, for whoever wants to keep that life will lose it. Notice he didn't say might lose it. He's saying all those who are intent upon living for self, who are spending their days seeking after possessions and popularity and power and all the things that this world has to offer, he says those, those who are seeking after those things, they will lose their lives. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, Jesus says, will keep it. This seems very paradoxical to us. How in the world do I lose something to find it and find something to lose it? It seems uh, wrong to us in our, in our thinking. A paradox is, is two seemingly contradictory truths that, that when we put them side by side, they don't seem to fit well together. And yet, the deeper we go, the more we are, are enlarged in our understanding, the, the more we begin to see that that's really where truth lies. And Jesus loved to use paradoxes. Remember when he said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last? We, we joke about that in the potlucks at our church. Our worship leader, Grant Stevenson, is always the first one in line. His thinking is somebody's got to get this party started. So we, he's always the first one to jump in line. And we joke about him. He's going to be last in the kingdom because he always jumps in the potluck line first. But, but in all seriousness, there, there, there's this paradox, these two seemingly contradictory truths. And yet... When they are set side by side and we begin to look deeper at these things, we begin to see that's exactly where truth is to be found. So the reality Jesus is showing us, the first reason why we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him is because all those who continue to live for self will lose that life and lose it for eternity. Oh, they may have all this world has to offer. They may get all the great possessions and all the popularity and all the power. They could rise to the highest rung on the planet. And yet when death comes to them, and Hebrews 9 reminds us, it's appointed for each of us once to die and then to face the judgment. That when death comes for them, all of that will be counted as loss. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? I I count all these things, all of his worldly accomplishments, he's listed and he says, and I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. So the first reason why we should take up the cross and follow Christ is because the saving loss is inescapable. Then look at verse 26. Again, it begins with the word for. This is reasoning that Jesus is laying out here. He says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is calling us to consider the worth of our souls and that the soul's worth is incomparable. 
There's nothing that you could give in exchange for your soul. And the good news of the Christian life is, while that is a price you could never pay, it is a, cry, a price that has been paid in full at the cross. That's what we rejoiced in when we sang, thank you, Jesus, this morning. When we sang that, that lovely song, we were rejoicing in the fact that what has been done on our behalf could not be accomplished by us. That's why it's grace. The soul's worth is truly incomparable. Jesus said, what could you give in exchange for your soul if you had the whole world and all its possessions and all its power and all the popularity and all the prizes, if you had everything that this world had to offer and you sought to go before God and make the exchange all the world has for my soul, you would still come up short. Because the only one who could redeem our souls laid his life willingly down on an old rugged cross and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And he is the one who issues this call. But you know, this verse also makes me think about the fact that while there's nothing we could give in exchange for our souls, we are living in a culture that is selling its soul for worthless idols day by day. See, that's what our Savior's calling us out of. We live in this culture that is selling its soul for possessions. We're so thick in this soup of materialism, we don't even recognize it most of the time. We live in this culture where people are selling their souls day by day for political power. Not recognizing that it is the God of the universe who sets up kings and brings them down. We live in a culture that is selling its soul through social media for popularity and likes and recognition and wanting to take that 15 minutes of fame and stretch it out for as long as they possibly can. But I would ask us, church, each of us here today, what are you giving your soul in exchange for? There are many, many idols that we are called to flee. And many of them look so good and so wonderful. Some of us may be selling our souls at the altar of family. Family is a good gift of God. But we do find very clearly in the scriptures that the call of the disciple oftentimes means leaving home and going to places where family may not be present to serve the Lord and to reap eternal rewards. So what idols are tempting you today? I guarantee you it's not worth your soul. Let's give our souls to the Lord in faith and repentance. Finally, this morning, look at verse 27. 
Again, Jesus begins this verse with the word for, and a third reason for the call of the disciple. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus here speaking of himself, he loved to refer to himself as the son of man. I believe he derives that from Daniel chapter 9 in the Old Testament, this picture of the, of the son of man who would come in power and glory. And Jesus took that, that name upon himself and rightfully so. It was his name even before the foundation of the world. And here as he speaks about the son of man, he wants to remind us of this, that the son's reward is inconceivable. Again, all that this world has to offer, all bundled together, would not be enough to purchase one of our souls, Jesus says. And yet, what he has done, what he has accomplished at the cross, the giving of his life and the shedding of his blood and the laying down as he did and the taking up as he did in the resurrection, that this was done that we might receive an inheritance. I love that word. An inheritance which reminds us that it's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace to us that was bought for us at the cross. And we cannot even begin today to understand the gravity of this inheritance that was purchased for us. But we ought to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Now some would say... Well, if we talk too much about rewards and about the things that will come to us as a result of following Christ, then perhaps people will get so fixated on that that they'll just follow Jesus for the sake of the reward. I think we're needlessly worried here. I think we're needlessly worried when we think about it in that regard, and here's why. Because Jesus himself talks about the reward all the time. Let me encourage you this week, if you've not done it in a while, go back and read the, Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew 5 through 7, is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Go read those chapters and listen closely for how many times Jesus talks about the reward for those who are following him. By the way, I'll just go ahead and tell you, there's at least a dozen times in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus references the reward that's coming to those who faithfully follow after him. I'm not going to ruin all those for you today. Go read it on your own time and see. But understand this, Jesus talked about the reward, and so we ought to talk about the reward. Now, I can't get into the specifics with you today because we don't know all the specifics. The Bible leaves some of those things for our imaginings and for the revealing of those things in that final day. But know this, it's greater than we could begin to imagine. What he has awaiting us in this heavenly inheritance is beyond what we could ask or think. I love what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. There's this, this phrase that's on repeat in chapter 6 where he says, And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so prayer warriors in this room, those who have come to an understanding that that time you spend in your prayer closet is not only impacting this earth, but it's resonating in heaven. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. You'll probably get no recognition for that on this earth and be glad for that. 
because the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Those who've taken up the, the, the call to give and to give faithfully in the life of this church and into the work of the kingdom around the world and seeking no recognition for yourself and no one knows the, the amount that you're giving, that you are giving sacrificially. In Matthew chapter 6, the, the Lord Jesus says, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And those who have taken up this discipline of fasting, denying themselves, as Jesus said, and fixating upon the things of his kingdom, that that Jesus says, the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And his reward is infinitely greater than anything that you might spend your life upon on this planet. The more we can embrace that, the more we will understand what Jesus is laying before us here. It was Jesus who said, So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And then he gives this punchline for where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. By the way, church, just as a reminder, that's ultimately what God's after. Some people will only think God's after my pocketbook. He doesn't need your pocketbook. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and more. He's after your heart. Some people might wrongly think, well, God's after my service. He just wants to get me involved in 15 committees and teaching a children's Sunday school class and all these things. God just wants my time. God exists outside of time. He doesn't need your time. The time he's given you is a gift to be used for his service, but ultimately God wants your heart. And the overflow of that will be those acts of service. And so where is your treasure today? What are the idols that would seek to be drawing you away from the Lord today? How will you spend the time that's been allotted for you. I'll close today with just a simple story of an old hymn. I entitled this message, Wherever He Leads, because I was thinking about that old hymn by B.B. McKinney, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. I love the story behind old hymns. Uh, there's so many wonderful accounts of how old hymns came to be, and this one's fairly simple. B.B. McKinney was leading the singing at a, a uh, a Sunday school convention in Alabama. The year was 1936. B.B. McKinney was leading uh, the singing, and one of the speakers at that Sunday school convention was his good friend, R.S. Jones. Probably none of us have ever even heard of R.S. Jones, but R.S. Jones was a faithful missionary to the country of Brazil for many, many years. But it came to the point where R.S. Jones' health became so poor 
that his doctor said, you can no longer continue on the mission field. You need to come back to the States and, and, and get well, and you'll probably never be able to return to serving the Lord there in Brazil. And so R.S. Jones was newly back from the mission field and was invited to, to speak at the Sunday School Conference where B.B. McKinney, his friend, was leading the singing. In the midst of that conference, they shared a meal together. And B.B. And B. B. McKinney, seeking to minister to his friend, said, Brother, I know you're not going to be able to return to Brazil, so what will you do now? You've given your whole life to this work, and now it seems as if it's been taken away from you. You can't return to that people that you have loved for so long. You, you're not going to be able to go back and continue in the labors there. What will you do now? And R.S. Jones said to his friend, I don't know, but wherever he leads, I'll go. And those words got stuck in B.B. McKinney's mind and deep down into his heart. And he went back to the room where he was staying and he began to pen these words that many of us have sang many times. Take up thy cross and follow me, I heard my master say. I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. And in the chorus, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Is that your testimony today? Can you say with conviction today, because of what my Savior has done for me at the cross, there is no price too high. There is no sacrifice too great. There is nothing I would not give him gladly because he gave his all for me. Let's pray together. Father, once again, I simply pray today that you would help us to hear once again the call of the disciple. And Father, that in our hearing of this call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow after Jesus, That we would not be hearers only, but would become doers of this word through repentance and faith. Turning from our sinful self-seeking and running hard after the one who came for us. To deliver us from sin and death and hell and the grave and to bring us into his kingdom. To rescue us, to redeem us. To reconcile us to God. To do everything necessary on our behalf. So that everything that we give in return is but a gift. We could in no way repay what has been done for us. And we need not. It's been paid in full. 
And so we simply say, Jesus, thank you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Father, I pray you would help us to consider these things well today and to respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.